As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10, place your first bet on any game, and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager. The Athletic. This is Talk of the Devils, the Athletics podcast dedicated to Manchester United. And well, what a response we have had for questions on the podcast today. A little message went out on Twitter. Thank you for your brilliant response to that. Thank you to Andy and Laurie for sharing it as well. <laughs> or not, as the case may be. But we've had really lots of questions regardless. It. Yeah, whatever. Yeah, fine. Um, obviously, we'll talk about the takeover as well because, my goodness, that has got... A little bit strange. There's quite a lot to untangle on that. But first of all, I need to say hello to Andy Mitton. Hello. Who's now got his microphone pointing at his mouth correctly. <laughs> I don't know how many times I've had this conversation, but you're sounding great, Andy. So thank you for that. Uh, and good morning, Laurie. Morning. How are you doing? I, I, I feel that Andy owes you an apology because you he's made you laugh this morning about his microphone malfunctioning. And, and you're a little bit poorly, aren't you? Wisdom tooth out on Tuesday. Yeah, I did. Quite an ordeal, that, actually. I don't know if people listening to this have ever had a tooth out. I hadn't before. Didn't know what to expect. And um, it's a lot more physical than I anticipated. Um, laughing's a little bit difficult today. So, um, so we'll keep it serious. That's why I'm doing Talk of the Devils. We don't we don't often laugh, do we? You've never had a tooth out in your life? No. Well, I have now, yeah, on Tuesday. You must have been brushing from an early age, like, you know, proper toothpaste, more than a pea-sized dab on his toothbrush <laughs> serious dedication to hygiene yeah one filling and that was my first tooth out and that's because it didn't grow properly so lucky boy yeah is this interesting i don't think this is well it meant that you missed our, our night out in manchester at flight club where uh carl anker showed up and, and he gave us an exhibition of his very forceful dart throwing oh so you, you missed that ian oh, i feel like i've missed out now anyone else's technique you need to feed back on well so it's phil wright lewis's leaving do who works with athletic he's, well, he's no longer uh and he does the videos for us so if you've ever seen us on uh twitter or youtube um he's the guy behind it, it i called him the featherer because he would kind of just loop his darts in this kind of weird way like it looked like it wouldn't penetrate the dartboard but then it did and it, it went exactly where he wanted it to and he was the best player so i learned a thing or two yeah, that's giving me an idea of the standard as well, to be fair, Larry. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it wasn't good. 
No comment. You know, well, you know what we're on dentists, right? My my old dentist was in Stratford Arndale, right near Old Trafford, and they used to have yachting magazines in reception, and it what? troubled me for years. In Stratford. In Stratford Arndale, who on earth reads yachting magazines? It was clearly the dentist. Mr. Dawson, rest in peace. Sail Water Park? Nah, I'm not having it. Who'd be buying multi-million pound yachts going in there? At the end, when I used to go out, the receptionist would just say, sign this form. I'd say, no, I pay. Oh, you pay? So I think most people who use that dentist got free or heavily reduced treatment. But when they went in the waiting room, it was all like big yachting magazines. Anyway, we're getting... Badly distracted here. Let's talk about Manchester United. Yeah, I did not expect that to be the start to the podcast, considering how much we've got to talk about. So let's get into it. Manchester United had a deadline last night for bids to be submitted for the club. And it didn't quite go how we expected, Laurie, did it? It kind of had an element of farce to it. And it made me think of transfer deadline day when we kind of, or I did at least, went into this process thinking... Okay, this is serious stuff, big money involved. It's going to be a very structured uh, set of deadlines and, uh, and and stages that we go through. Um, it's highbrow stuff. It, it kind of descended into, you know, those crazy days when you'd have Peter Rod and Wengi turning up at QPR's training ground and Harry Redknapp leaning out of his car window. Okay, we didn't get anything quite like that, but it was, yeah, unusual when this, you know, deadline came round. And, and let's be right, so, so the deadline is what the Glazers and Rain, the, the bank that are handling the sale, or the uh, strategic investment on behalf of the Glazers have set. So it's it's an arbitrary deadline. It's, it's something that they have constructed to you know, get some momentum behind this um, bidding process. Is it there to uh, kind of increase the sense of jeopardy for the bidders to kind of say, right, well, this is your only chance. We're, we're going to pull the plug if you don't bid at this point. And therefore, that makes them bid more money. That's certainly uh, one reading of it from people that are involved. Um, and from what I've been told, what happened last night, both bids were expected, were anticipating, were planning, told people that were going to put uh, a new bid in, I think improved bids from what they'd previously put in, which from our understanding was about $4.5 billion for uh, Sheikh Yassim's bid and $4.3 billion for Sir Jim Ratcliffe. And that's something that my colleague Matt Slater managed to get some information on. So we thought after they've had the tours of Old Trafford and Carrington, seen more detail behind the books, that they would perhaps tweak those numbers. But as it came down to it, the nine, nine o'clock deadline, um, the information that I have is that it was Sir Jim Ratcliffe's team that said, could we have an extension? And as Sheikh Yassim's uh, bid was going in, Rain then informed them and they said, okay, yeah, you can have an extension. And, and then they withheld their bid. So you don't want to be going first, I suppose, in this game of cat and mouse, a bit of you know, chicken and egg, um, because then maybe if you've got more information about what the other party's bidding, then that, that informs you. I think for both of these bids, neither of them are particularly interested in getting in, into a bidding war. They have their price that they think the club is worth and, and they've put it forward. The only thing that can come from you know, increased rounds and, and kind of increased pressure is, is this idea that, okay, maybe we only do have this opportunity to buy the club and, and that increases the bid. But I think they've costed it up to what they think is, is the right price. And and this is something, I mean, Sir Jim Ratcliffe obviously is in talks with banks um, about finding funds to, you know, put this all on the table. Sheikh Jassim with his father, HBJ, one of the most wealthy men in the world and, and the funds via the Qatari state ultimately, you know, they could obviously afford whatever price really they, they wanted to 
put for Manchester United. But everything that I'm told is that they don't want to do that because they are, you know, serious businessmen. They are going about this in the right way. And I suppose one further aspect to it is if 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 they overbid for the club right now, will they then? be asked to overbid for players in the transfer market when it when it comes down to it if they are successful i think whatever happens the, these bids will both bid more than what the uh, the actual price of the business is for sure because they've got this unique value to it but i realize that i've been speaking for quite a long time andy's been nodding his head there's loads more to go at but i'm going to let someone else have the mic for a moment Yes, you have, in fairness, but you've also been writing a lot as well. There's a couple of really detailed articles up on The Athletic about the whole picture now that the bidding process has been delayed a little bit. Andy, Laurie used the word farce. It certainly is an unexpected twist, this, isn't it? Twist, farce, it's a soap opera. It's a rival, Coronation Street, Emma Dale, Home and Away, whatever you want. And there are plenty of Manchester United fans who are lapping it up as a soap opera and comparisons with Transfer Deadline Day are quite accurate. It seems to me that Rain are playing with the sports media to drum up hype surrounding the value of Manchester United in order to get the parties to raise their bids as much as possible. I don't believe there are six other offers. I think Rain is trying to do their job to drum up as much interest as possible. The two figures mentioned by Laurie are far more conservative than some of the hype, which would have you saying five, six, seven billion. I think there's a lot of posturing, jockeying for position here. You're talking huge amounts of money here. People are getting involved. It's not their money. I'm just very sceptical about the whole thing. And I don't think that the parties going to Old Trafford and looking at the stadium will suddenly go, right, I'm going to have to up my bid by another billion here. There's just a lot of semantics. What about when they toured the megastore? The megastore does a very good job. It was the first megastore in the world. (laughs) Opened by Tottenham fan Edward Friedman in 1993. The word megastore didn't even exist until Manchester United made a huge success of it. Now you see it at football clubs around the world. The biggest clubs aped Manchester United's commercial success because of the success of um, of things like the megastore. I'm, I'm sceptical. I saw a, paper, the, the, a headline in a newspaper the other day describing Old Trafford as a crumbling edifice. What an exaggeration. It's not at all. Yeah, that It's just it. not. It needs work doing on it. It needs redeveloping. But you've seen extremities to all of this, including the bid. Uh, The Glazers are are under no real pressure to let this run and run and try and get as much money for it as possible. I think Manchester United have got to be careful because if Eric Ten Hag does not like what he sees, then he will have no shortage of offers to go elsewhere. I know that for a fact. And it's all right saying X or Y is going to come in and people have their preferences. I understand that. And we're going to buy X or Y. And there's a big divide among Manchester United fans on this as to who they want. There's a lot of hypocrisy from Manchester United fans. There's a lot of people who absolutely slaughtered the model behind Manchester City and Paris Saint-Germain going, actually, you know what? And football fans, football fans do that. They perform mental gymnastics to get the answer which they want. So... It's going to carry on, and it's a soap opera, and and we're going to keep reporting it as journalists as well. Yeah, we will. Of course we will. We'll keep discussing it on the podcast as well. I think you make a really interesting point when you say that it's sports journalists trying to interpret finance and major, major businesses in terms of the way briefings go on, in terms of the way that, that deals and, and talks take place and things progress, because... 
you know, a lot of the sports journalists aren't used to interpreting that sort of thing. They're used to players coming and telling Manchester United they've got six other offers and United is the best or, you know, and getting through that side of things. I think that is, a, is an interesting point. Laurie, you said before about the two figures related to Ineos and also the Qatar bid as well. We understand that Sheikh Jassim is about 100% of the club and that all the efforts are going towards that. Whereas with Jim Radcliffe, it's more the 69% Glazer share that he's going after. So when you give those figures, is that about what their bids are in terms of the overall valuation of the club and not necessarily about what they are actually paying? Yeah, that's a really specific point, actually, and something that Matt Slater did really good work on. Whenever you are making a bid of this nature, it's the overall value of the club that you're putting forward. So this is kind of one of the confusing things, I suppose, about this whole process in that usually when you're talking about takeovers... There's a thing called enterprise value, which is what everybody would be on the same page as, which is net debt plus the value that you put on the thing that you're buying. We haven't actually got a kind of confirmation that that's what everyone's talking about when it comes to these values that are being banded around. But let's let's say for argument's sake that that's what we are talking about. And yeah, so Ratcliffe, if his bid is 4.3 billion, as we sort of believe, or that was the indicative bid, if he's buying 69% of the shares, then it's that ratio of what he's going to be putting forward so the 4.3 is his value of the club in terms of enterprise value say Jassim's 4.5 enterprise value so he's paying like 2.9 billion yeah effectively for 69 percent yeah that's, that's kind of what we're working out to but as as i'm saying it's, it's difficult to drill down into this because we haven't seen the numbers we don't even know exactly what we're talking about when it comes to the, the bids they, they haven't made that clear um, and i realized i said just then we don't know what we're talking about. And people might <laughs> Clip it up. drag that out and go, yeah, you really don't. Um, but it, it does touch on what Andy's saying. I mean, obviously we're, we're sports journalists, so, so it's, this is a kind of learning process a little bit for us. But what, what we can do is speak to people that have been through this a million times before. So, you know, I was speaking to somebody yesterday saying, do you think it's close? Because I was getting, you know, people, I've got somebody in Qatar who's sort of telling me, the excitement over there is that this could happen. They're ready to kind of put the money down and get it sorted. So you're kind of thinking, okay, is this going to happen? And what he said to me was, what's the share price? And it was going up. So it went up to like, you know, $25.89 per share, which was more than what it started the day out at, which was $24.50. But then by the close of play, it came back down to sort of $24.69. So a sort of fairly, you know, mundane day, it felt like in, you know, the, the, uh, the life of a stock market. Even at the peak, you know, it was the the market cap, which is, you know, all the share uh, added up together, was coming out with like £3.5 billion, which, okay, that tells you one thing that that's what the world thinks United should be valued at. Um, But also in these moments of uh, merger and acquisition, you get uh, special financiers that kind of sense the the moment and, and buy up shares so that they can make that final last bit of profit once the sale does go through. And that didn't feel like it was happening. So that's an interesting aspect to consider. I've also spoken to an investor who has Manchester United shares who's sort of, you know, desperate, I think, to this this go through so he can make some money or his company can. And he was sort of saying on, on the Ratcliffe point and the 69% um, buying out the Glazer shares. Now, remember that the Glazer shares have 10 times the voting rights of the uh, Class A ordinary shares that are traded on the New York Stock Exchange. And as soon as they leave Glazer hands, a specific clause means that they go back to being worth just one share, you know, one, one vote per share. So whilst they have a stranglehold of the power at Old Trafford at the moment with like 90 odd percent of the voting power, when Sir Jim Ratcliffe, if he does, 
takes uh, control of the 69%, they, it then reduces to 69% of the voting power. So the, the concept that I was speaking to just, just thought, it's his opinion, but thought that Ratcliffe would actually like to buy the rest of the shares out, even if he's not currently saying that, because it would then allow him to take the company private. They don't have to do the investor calls. They don't have to reveal their financial accounts every three months. That's how he's been in business previously, you know, with Ineos. So we're trying to piece these things together. We're speaking to people that are more savvy than us when it comes to it. Hopefully we're kind of getting it on the right lines. I think there's frustrations on behalf of both the bidding parties because they've signed um, non-disclosure agreements and they're not allowed to, to talk. And I think frustration that they've somehow got to be reverential towards the Glazers. There was this really bizarre quote a few weeks ago that the Glazers didn't like some of the criticisms. I mean, come on, the criticisms were absolutely valid. So the, they say the truth will, will always out. Well, it isn't at the moment. So I think there's, there is briefing going on. I think both groups have got um, PR agencies based in London acting on their behalf. One of them's got an agency doing some politicking as well. So just watch this space because, as Laurie says, there's some very good financial journalists as well at, at The Athletic writing detailed stuff on what is a very complex subject. Yeah, it's interesting, Laurie, as well, that it seems like the different parties that we know about have got vastly different approaches to taking over Manchester United. That almost complicates it even more, doesn't it? Yeah, and that was shown in what we saw last week when they came to Manchester. So um, on the Thursday, we had... Um, the Qatari delegation, which was basically bankers and financiers, and that was borne out in what they were asking about. I think it was like a you know ten hour meeting. They left at half seven in the evening. It was kind of line by line analysis of Manchester United's financials and also their projected forecast. So I think the the idea from the Glazers and Reigns point of view was okay. Well, we're going to show you how much growth there is in Manchester United, so that actually you know you move the dial on what you're prepared to bid for this club because it's it, you know it's, it's a great untapped mine of potential. It was interesting, uh, Fadi Bakos, his personal advisor, was there. And he's a guy that was very close to Sheikh Jassim's father, HBJ, the former prime minister, who many people see as you know a very independently wealthy man. And so there's, there's clearly a link back to HBJ, his father there, with Fadi Bakos being present at Old Trafford and, and Carrington for these talks. So Jim Ratcliffe had a different approach. So Dave Brailsford came with him, you know, his, his kind of sporting guru that he has at Ineos. And I think the talks there were kind of more about, you know, the academy or the kind of sporting uh, prospects of, of the club. They've obviously got a history of dealing with football clubs with Nice. So they, they kind of know, I suppose, what the projected forecast might be for broadcast revenues and sponsorships. So maybe that wasn't quite their focus in that regard. So, yeah, two different approaches to the bidding. I think both, you know, were impressive in their own ways. But the other sort of aspect to this, I think Andy touched on, just one bit of info that I'd got this morning was just that there are three, I'm told, three other bids for Manchester United, but that is in terms of investment. I don't think we're going to see other bids come to the table for full buyouts. Maybe there's going to be a consortium. Maybe these guys get together and think, actually, yeah, we can we can work together. Uh, and maybe Sir Jim Ratcliffe uh, teams up with uh, another one of the investors that are out there. Although, again, people tell me that actually he would... You know, he's very driven um, to own Manchester United himself. He wants to have the control. So would he really want to dilute his authority and power by going along with a, a financier? But yeah, what I'm told, three, three other uh, bidding parties, but for, for minority stakes, basically. 
Okay, well, if you want to read more about the current status of Manchester United takeover bids, and of course, you know, we'll have the latest on this on The Athletic over the coming days, weeks, months, however long it takes, um, you can go and have a look at the articles that are up there already. If you're not a subscriber and you want to do that, remember, you can sign up for just £1.99 a month for the first year when you go to theathletic.com forward slash Pod. Hello, I'm Mark Chapman and this week on the Athletic Football Podcast we're bringing you a two-part special on the future of football. What will the expanded 48-team World Cup look like? And is it actually such a terrible idea? Plus, UEFA against FIFA, a Super League in disguise. How would you feel if your team became part of a multi-club model? There is a lot to get stuck into. Matt Slater, Adam Crafton and Laura Williamson will be with us. Just search for the Athletic Football Podcast wherever you listen. Looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 US-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. This episode is brought to you by Michelob Ultra, the official beer sponsor of the NBA. Want to get closer to the game than ever before? Michelob Ultra Courtside is giving fans the chance to win exclusive NBA prizes and experiences like official gear, courtside seats to an NBA game, and more. Head over to MichelobUltra.com slash courtside to learn more. Right, okay, let's move it on to your questions then. Like I said at the top, we had an absolutely fantastic response to the tweet requesting questions for Andy and Laurie. So thank you so much for that. We'll get to as many as we can on the podcast today. But undoubtedly, we'll have some left over on Monday because there's just so many of them to get through. So keep your eye on Monday's podcast if your question's not been answered in this one. Right, first up, slightly on the ownership point a little bit. And this is from Aravind on Twitter. So if UEFA allows owners uh, with multi-clubs, should United pursue that model? Or is United big enough and doesn't require sister clubs? What do you think, Andy? Newcastle United said that they would be looking at the multi-club model. Manchester City have done it more than anybody. Manchester United were actually trailblazers with the link-up with Royal Antwerp going back to the 90s. United had um, looser but but contractually obliging link-ups with a team in Western Sydney, with a team in... Uh, there was a link with South Africa as well. There was one with a team in Sweden. And then it sort of faded away. They were built on personal relationships. And when one person left they faded away. I think that given the UK has left the EU, there is a strong case for it. If Manchester United owned a second tier club, for example, in Spain, uh, Manchester City have got their investment in Girona, for example, who are a Liga club now. But more than Spain, I think Portugal is, is the hot area where clubs are looking at. You can buy a club there relatively cheaply. Um, the, it is part of the EU. It's got very strong connections to South America, and Portugal's a football factory within its own right. I think whatever happens, 
should respect the rights of the fans of those clubs. These shouldn't just be able to be bought. These are living, breathing community assets. And I think that's really important. And not everybody's flattered to be owned by a giant. You saw a big pushback from one of the Dutch clubs when Chelsea started expanding their interest in recent years. So does it work? Yes and no. I mean, Manchester City have been very successful at selling players. I spoke to one of their coaches a few years ago and he said, my job's not to get players straight into the first team because that's almost impossible. It's to create players from the academy and sell them for three million quid. And I thought that's quite interesting. Just touching on what Andy said on the kind of ethics of it, morals, I'm, I'm kind of, I'm conflicted over it because, you know, you want these places to stand on their own two feet and be part of the community um, it's it, you know, without having a kind of you know an overall uh, overarching um, controlling sort of power you know abroad where okay your 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 role and responsibility is to that organisation uh, rather than your own on your own merits. Um, but then again, people do say to me, United should be getting into the multi club model because it allows you to place players, particularly as Andy says after Brexit into these clubs um, much more uh, smoothly you know getting work permits is a, is a major aspect to it uh, and also you know just having that that kind of variety um, more easily at hand than and that, that control of you know players go on loan all the time and they kind of have difficult loan spells because it's not quite worked out and I suppose that would still be a risk there but uh, yeah I think it's something United should look at but I would still be cautious about going into it uh, full throttle. Okay, let's move it on to the next question then. We had loads of questions about the redevelopment of Old Trafford and where it stands with the, the takeover situation and so on. Andy, you've written a piece about attendances at Old Trafford as well, which is on The Athletic, which we might work into this answer. But um, we quite enjoyed uh, Sferoa's, um approach to, <laughs> to stadium development. If Godzilla came and crushed Old Trafford, <laughs> what should New Trafford look like, Laurie? Really good. I like the idea of New Trafford. And I think I'm right in saying this, but wasn't there a former manager at Manchester United that kind of pointed to the old of Old Trafford and said that should be much more enlarged, you know, emphasis on the old because it's, you know, and I know it's not falling down as much as some newspaper headlines might have us uh, think, Andy, but... Who was this manager, Laurie? You you can possibly guess. (laughs) Jose Mourinho. Well, there we go. (laughs) In one. I think... um, I'm so conflicted. I mean, they have had uh, plans put in place. You know, the, the Glazers have looked at it. Joel Glazers looked at these plans for, for a variety of options with United, extending the South Stand. I mean, when you look at the pictures now of Old Trafford uh, from the air and you can see these three massive, you know, sort of fairly new uh, stands sort of standing proud and then the, <laughs> the South Stand just so small by comparison. And clearly that is an area that you could expand, but the railway behind is... Is, is, has always been the kind of logistical nightmare, but the technology now suggests that you can build up. You know, you don't have to build over and, and across, which would you know, maybe reduce the cost. But then there's also the option of building a new stadium on the car park adjacent to Old Trafford. Uh, you, you could still play at Old Trafford whilst this is going on. It might be a bit difficult, but and, and that would cost a lot of money. I, I don't know. I personally, I still love the history of Old Trafford. The fact that it's the pitch where you know I witnessed. You know, Manchester United beat Porto 4-0 where there's flares going up in the stands and I'm like you know, a young kid and absolutely hypnotised by what I'm watching on the pitch. And I kind of feel like that should still be there. I know Tottenham have, have done really well with, with uh, expanding um, White Hart Lane, the Tottenham Hotspur Stadium, on the same 
patch of, of land, but obviously it's a totally new stadium. So I don't know, that is that connection still there? Maybe I'm being too, you know, uh, set in my ways and I should think forward and, and we should have these uh, stadiums that are all singing or dancing and future-proof them. Um, but yeah, I kind of, I haven't really answered your your question about a new Old Trafford, a, a, a tweaked Old Trafford. Yeah, I, I think there's definitely something in the emotional connection. I can't remember who said it, but years ago someone pointed out if you think about the legendary footballers who will have kicked off in the centre circle and stood on the centre spot and played the ball, and you know that you think from the, the day that Old Trafford was open through to the present day, some of the greatest footballers of all time have done that on that ground, and to move even just that spot and the emotion attached to that, you know that the, there's a lot of baggage. But I suppose it's that versus how to do it logistically, how it would work, um, the cost of it, et cetera, et cetera. But Andy, if Godzilla's foot went through the middle of it, what would you um, what would you want it to be replaced with? You want me to talk about stadiums? Result? Okay, how long have we got? Four hours. I could give a longer <laughs> answer than the ones on, on the ownership. As I wrote in the article the other day, demand for tickets has never been higher. Old Trafford has sold out for every single game this season. It's never happened before. So if you go back to the Europa League in 16-17, way shorter capacity, even for big games like against Feyenoord or St Etienne. So Old Trafford should be bigger. I've been writing that for, for 10, 15 years. I prefer to redevelop the stadium. I love what Real Madrid have done with their stadium. I don't like the roof at Old Trafford. I think if you can build a big main stand, and I know it's easy to say that, and it's and it's difficult because you've got the railway behind the main stand, but I'm told it is possible. Get the capacity to over 90,000, do something with the exterior of the stadium, which could be better, do something with the roof. Those grey roofs, they slope down too much. They make the stands underneath them a bit dark. The sight lines are not perfect. That was done originally because light needed to get to the pitch, but technology has moved on so much since then. The one point I get against Old Trafford is legroom can be a bit tight, but I would favour um, redeveloping it, expanding it, um, significant redevelopment. But I, I get the point that some people just want a new stadium. Uh, United are criticised for a lot of things, but should be praised for spending £9 million buying land up around Old Trafford. I think that was in 1995. They had the foresight to do that. There was a lot of space and United bought it up. So a lot of car parks surrounding it. I think in terms of infrastructure, um, it's it's it's... Pretty good Old Trafford. You've got two to three Metrolink lines. You've got four dual carriageways leaving away from it. You've got a mainline rail stop. <laughs> Look at you smiling here. But I, I saw people complaining the other day when they wrote that piece. You know, it was like, my drink took too long to get served the other day. The Metrolink was too busy. I mean, get in the real world. If you're getting 80,000 people descending on any point at any time, you're not going to get a perfect mobile signal. The trams are going to be busy. I go to grounds around the world all the time. None of them are perfect. But I think mean, Real Madrid should be where Manchester United are, are looking at. I also think that the women's team and the reserve team stadium shouldn't be 12 miles out of Manchester in Lee. I like what Manchester City have done there. It's only a 6,000-seater. Um, well, with some terracing as well. I think Manchester United should have a smaller stadium. And again, that's exactly the type of thing that the Glazers have, have paused on because they're like, where's the immediate return on that? Just do it. I love the fact United have kept the cliff, by the way. Didn't let it go like Liverpool and Everton and, and City for a time with Platt Lane. But I went there on Saturday. I went with um, Geordie Cruyff. 
because he wanted to see where he used to train and it was locked up and it was a bit sad and it was a bit tired as well. Another symptom of the Glazer ownership. That should be a great community asset. It should be used and it is used by by Manchester United, which is great, but it also needs bringing up to, to this century. Right, this is more like it. Darren, best bars in Manchester for watching United games and for post-match. I'm travelling over for the Sevilla game and need a backup spot in case I can't source the ticket. Laurie, I think you're the man, aren't you? I know, but you know, it's actually quite difficult to watch United games in Manchester properly. I've done it in Brotherhood, which is a good good little bar on the corner. They've got loads of little screens, basically, so that you can have a booth, uh, you can get to the bar. You know, It's, it's quite a nice atmosphere. Uh, and in fact, I remember, <laughs> I don't know if I should be admitting to this, but during lockdown, there was obviously, you, you could go to these these situations and, and you could like enjoy it. Uh, and there, I think it was, was it Newcastle or Crystal Palace at Old Trafford? Uh, and, you know, there was, you basically had to sit down and you weren't allowed to, to mix. But, you you know, when, when United scored, you, you had a little hug with your mate and, and kind of, OK, sit back down and, and kind of get back to it. So so Brotherhood has that memory for me of helping me through, you know, a difficult period, for you know, which was for everybody during lockdown. Um, I think as well, I could correct me if I'm wrong, Freight Island, um, they certainly did England games during the World Cup and they've got a massive screen, big space, although I think it's being renovated uh, right now as well, speaking of renovations. Um, I think it's closed down for a little bit, so that could be a bad tip. Um, but, Darren, I will have a proper think about this. They were the two that came to mind immediately, but I'll um, yeah, I'll, I'll get back to you on a future pod. We should do a guide to Manchester, shouldn't we? We should do a guide to Manchester. Well, it's funny you say that. R- Richard Evans has asked for that. Um, he said, can Andy do an away fans guide to Manchester, including the high spots of Deansgate, Northern Quarter and Cheadle Hume? We could all contribute to that. Cheadle Hume? <laughs> I, think, I think there must be some joke in there. I've not quite got it. Got a big railway junction, sorry. <laughs> I've I thought of another one. Go on. Footage, footage is really good for uh, for live sport on Oxford Road, and yeah, it's like a student bar, but you can yeah, it's, you don't have to be a student basically to go in. The old Nags Head as well off Deansgate is like a Manchester United museum. It's absolutely covered in old pictures, even right across the ceiling in there as well. Um, so I, I've never watched a match in there. Usually, if United are playing at Old Trafford, I'm I'm tending to be at the, the stadium, but I imagine that's probably a, a good place to watch it as well. Um, hopefully you get a ticket though, Darren, and you don't have to worry about that. Um, Ross O'Neill, is Laurie going to Coco in Seville again? <laughs> Depends if he can afford the taxi is probably the answer. <laughs> that was the destination. I feel like I have to leave that where it was. It was a nice moment and obviously it cost me a lot of money in the end. Um, and also, well, so so we, you know, we got straight on the old um, booking the flights and booking the hotels f- f- as soon as the draw's made so we can kind of try and save a little bit of money as a company. The, the the hotel that I was staying in anyway, the prices have shot up, four hundred quid for two nights. They were like, "You're not worth that. You're not having that again." So I've had to. I, I'm not. I'm not in the same location anyway, which is probably for the best. Well, it's amazing what a bit of publicity on talk of the devils can yeah, do. Yeah, absolutely. Abba Sevilla, if you're listening to us, <laughs> let Laurie stay there, please, um, for less than what you're asking for. The, the the little curse that Manchester United have had on managers this season has, has struck again, hasn't it, Andy, with Sevilla changing boss before they, they face United. This is about the fourth or fifth time it's happened this season. Yeah, they're really struggling. I, I spoke to one of their players 
a couple of days ago with a view to interviewing him is like I really want to do this interview but I cannot talk at the moment things are that are that bad and that's been reflected by the league position so that interview will be worth waiting for given who it is but I reckon it will be after the Manchester United and Sevilla games I spoke to a couple of Sevilla fans they're not going to take the full allocation at Old Trafford at all this has been the worst season for a long long time a club that have been extremely successful but We've struggled with that new manager bounce, as as you said, and the new man's coming in. He's a very good manager. There are still good players at Sevilla. They were four favourites for the league this season, so if someone can get a tune out of them, I hope it's not against Manchester United. Yeah, Jorge Sampaoli's gone, and the reason why is because Sevilla are down in 14th place in the league, or that is not the place you'd expect the four favourites for the league title to be. Of course, we'll have all of the best of the build-up to the Sevilla game nearer the time on The Athletic. And now, two pigeons bemoaning the fact you can stream DirecTV satellite-free. You see this? A family watching baseball on DirecTV with no satellite dish in sight. Let's heckle them. You call that changing the channel? Choke up on the remote, buddy. I hope getting all these games on DirecTV makes up for your mother not pre-chewing your sunflower seeds. DirecTV has the most MLB games. Visit DirecTV.com. Claim based on total games offered on national and regional sports networks with choice package or higher. Availability of RSNs varies by zip code and package. High-speed internet service required. Terms and restrictions apply. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Right, more of your questions then. We've just got time to squeeze a few more in. So, Dan, what is the biggest amount of Maltesers Andy has ever eaten in one go? Just with you lot when you bring them. I've got a sweet tooth and I've not got many addictions at all, but sweets, it comes from my dad. I absolutely love sweets. And when you lot turn up with a big bag of Maltesers, I just eat them and um, until they've all gone. I think post-League Cup final, you might have finished off two packets on your own, actually, without anyone else eating a single one. What I did was I robbed your second pack and took them away. And the following day, I just polished them off as well. I apologise, but that's the truth. I didn't realise this was going to be a confessional. Very nice. Um, <laughs> Confectionary confessional. <laughs> Very nice, yeah. Um, Reza, you boys have been living the dream for most of United fans, especially in Indonesia. So I'd like to ask, if you could switch lives with any of United's current or past players, who would it be and why? It's a great question. Laurie, I'll let you go first. <sighs> It's got to be George Best, hasn't it? Yeah? It's got to be George Best. I mean, come on, that, you know, the life he lived, the, the skills that he had. I, I mean, I, <laughs> I don't know why my mind's gone to this, but that, you know, the quote that he came out with where, what was it? He said, I spent, you know, 90% of my money on booze and women. The rest I've just squandered. <laughs> so, you know, why not? I, but, but more than that, I mean, he won the European Cup with United as. How old was he at that point? Early 20s, probably. Uh, you know, a young lad. And he was absolutely gifted from the heavens with, with his skills. Um, I only, I've only i only seen you know clips of him, obviously. I never saw him live. But the hair, the kind of swagger, the, the time of you know, of life in Britain, yeah, just feels like, yeah, let's give it a go. It would have been quite fun to experience it for, let's say, 24 hours. 
Andy, are you old enough to remember George Best playing? <laughs> if his if his career hadn't been curtailed, there might have been. Yeah. I think there's a mad stat that he would have been of a playing age in the 1983 Cup final still. And he really, obviously, yeah, really, Blimey. really. I met him a few times, but no, I, I, I never saw him play apart from in a, a game at Old Trafford for some at Busby in 91, I think it was. Eric Cantona would be my answer. Such an interesting yeah. character. I mean, his hinterland goes well beyond football and I just find him a fascinating person. Imagine being Cantona for a day. I imagine, imagine walking into Old Trafford as Cantona yeah. in, his, in his pomp, last man out with his collar up. That comeback game against Liverpool. Can you imagine walking out that day at Old Trafford as him? I understand that George Best had a lot of fun, but the adulation that he would have got in that moment and chest out, prancing onto the pitch, that would be absolutely fantastic to be him. So what are you saying, Ian, Cantona as well? I think so, yeah. I mean, as a kid, I had a wall that was just full of Eric Cantona. No one else was even allowed to be a poster on that wall. That's how much I idolised him when I was younger. So I don't really think I could say anyone else, to be honest. Um, I think Roy Keane for a day would be an interesting experience, walking the dogs and scowling at people. But um... I saw him on Saturday, Roy. Did you? And on Sunday. So I saw him at Salford City on Saturday, where he was really happy to see Geordie Cruyff and da- David Bellion. It was lovely just to watch them in conversation. And then on Sunday, this was even more surprising. I was working with Terry Phelan on Sunday, the old Manchester City Republic of Ireland defender. And Terry's from Salford, right? And he's one of the very few Manchester City fans from Salford. And as well as telling me that Liverpool were his second club, I'm like, do you want to get thrown out of Old Trafford here, Terry? <laughs> I really actually enjoyed his company and, and sat next to him in the game as he, as he said, that player's out of position, he should do that. But Roy Keane spotted Terry Phelan and was delighted to see him. They played together for years at Republic of Ireland and he just said, you've made my day seeing you. And I thought that was lovely. That is a nice moment, isn't it? Unexpected as well. Laurie, have you ever been to Indonesia? I haven't, no. Oh, wait a second. It's Bali's Indonesia, isn't it? Of course yes, it mate, is. Yeah. <laughs> right. One minute, <laughs> sorry, I'll just let you grab an atlas. <laughs> I have, I have. Yeah, yeah. Oh, sorry, yeah, look, guys. Look, London's in England, mate. <laughs> so you have. Did Did you try, this was the last part of Reza's question, did you try the local wine, Angamera? It'll blow you out of the water, he says. Well, no, I haven't. Oh, my mate did. Right, okay. <laughs> well, should I try it, Andy? My mate did. <sighs> my friend who's very sensible, I'm not going to name him, but he got in a bad way on it and I was rooming with him and he came back trying to have a fight with Ronan Keating, the singer. I'm like, he's not here. He said he is. He's behind that door over there. No, he's not, mate. <laughs> bad, bad, bad experience. Right, so it's so- what a random person to want to fight. I know. By the way, it's rice wine in it, Racky. It's dodgy stuff. Okay, right. There we go. So, so it's not. So, so it's the alcohol content. It's not like it'll blow you out of the water because it's such a flavorful, beautiful, you know, treat for the palate. I it's, don't think it's- so. Right. No. Okay. I, d- I don't think flavor makes you want to fight Ronan Keating nah. somehow. <laughs> I didn't drink it because I'm because I'm sensible. I started talking to two girls from New Zealand. And all was going well. And I thought, I need to get my mate over here. And I couldn't find him. And I walked around the corner and he was sat down, hid behind the bench going, shh, they're watching us. I'm like, oh my gosh, I've completely lost him. And like the next day, the receptionist came and said, you know, your mate's done this and done that. And I just 
think he got sent to a very dark place. Well, it sounds I like not it, had it. I still give him grief about it now. Right, we've got time for just one more question. This is from Einstein, who says, here's some stadium trivia for you. Andy Mitten's eyebrows have gone up straight away. In the summer of 1981, United played a team whose most famous supporter was once offered the chance to replace Peter Gabriel as Genesis's singer. What's the name of the stadium? Who is the singer? And which player has represented both clubs? Wow, that's a question. Yeah, it's impossible without looking it up. Oystein, I know him. He's a good lad and he's a Norwegian. United only played one game in Norway that summer against EIK Tonsberg. Ronnie Jonsson is from Tonsberg. He played for Tonsberg and Manchester United. I think the celebrity fan would be Morton Harkett, but I'm not sure of that. And he was in AHA uh. and maybe he got offered to to be in, in, in Genesis. United won the game 1-0. Scott McGarvey scored. He's interviewed in the new United We Stand. If you want me to link the last question and this one together, a guy came off the bench that day called Nikolai Jovanovic. He was the first ever Manchester United player from outside the UK and Ireland, right? So in 99, I'm travelling to watch United pre-season in Australia and we stop in Indonesia, which we just mentioned there. And I'm on a bus and I meet a couple from Slovenia. What do you do? Blah, blah, blah. Oh, Manchester United. Um, a guy who used to play for them is one of our neighbours. I'm like, what? Where? Oh, Libuana. Who is he? Oh, Nikolai Jovanovic. Now, he was one of the very few. There's only two players who had been unable to track down. Completely unable. This was before the internet had really sort of kicked him. And I thought, right, I'm going to get their numbers. And if Manchester United are ever playing in that part of the world, I'm going to try and track down Nikolai Ivanovic. Ask him about the club car that he took home without permission back to Yugoslavia. Martin Edwards still wants money for it. The club BMW took it back behind the Iron Curtain. A month later, United are drawn with Zagreb. And that was a moody, moody place. We'll talk about that another time. So I'm thinking Zagreb, Libuana. I can do that. So I get in touch with him. They speak to Nikolai Jovanovic, who was a star signing from Red Star Belgrade. And I end up going to meet him. And he looked like the Incredible Hulk. And he didn't really speak much English. Was he green? He wasn't green. But in terms of stature, he was a really big, friendly. He said, ah, Andy, come here, sit down. You know, he was, he will sit he was, down. A, he was a good guy, but we, we couldn't, um, we didn't have a mutual language. So we needed a translator. And I, and I did a big interview with him. And lots of journalists in the years since have said, you know, you're the only person we know who spoke to Nikolai Jovanovic. Have you got a contact for him? And the contact hasn't worked for 20-odd years. So if someone's listening to this, and um, I don't know where he's going to be, the former Yugoslavia, that part of the world. I don't think he's living in Rill, for example. Then uh, someone track down Nikolai Jovanovic from this pod. There's a task. You know, Ljubljana was on my mission to Qatar, don't you, Andy? I've got contacts there. I could, I could hit them up. It's a beautiful, beautiful city. On, on the subject of the singer, I've just done a quick Google as well. Jan Tegen, um, who's from Tonsberg in Norway, 
um, seems to be linked with Genesis. So I wonder if that's the answer possibly. Could be him. Yeah, Einstein. I, I, I bet it is. You need to let us know, mate, because you sent a brilliant question, but you didn't give us the answer. So let us know on Twitter if Andy and I, between us, have got that question correct. Right, that's it for Talk of the Devils. Uh, we will have more of your questions on Monday's podcast. There's absolutely tons of them to get through, so I promise we'll get to more of them. Uh, we need to point out as well that Manchester United women face West Ham in the WSL at Old Trafford on Saturday. Uh, and on that subject, we're hoping to have something exciting coming up for you this time next week um we have to be a little bit cryptic just in case but watch this space i can guarantee you more on that q a though no doubt at all so tune in for that next week remember if you're not a subscriber to the athletic and you need to keep a close eye on everything going on with the takeover at the moment you can sign up now for £1.99 a month for the first 12 months just go to the athletic.com forward slash man united pop up for the minute andy Thank you very much, Laurie. Thank you very much as well. And thanks for listening at home. We'll see you on the next one. Bye-bye.